Here's a quick message from one of the sponsors of this episode, Next Data. So that's Jamak's company. She wants to let people know that she is hiring. So here she is. Yeah, we're looking for kind of distributed systems engineers to come and solve these problems that you and I just talked about and building those catalyst technologies. So if you're one and you're listening, just come to our very uh, basic job site on our website, uh, nextdata.com. Yeah, and we'll, we've got a, a link to that in the show notes for all of these episodes as well. So, thank you. Yeah, I've, and and you know, from working with you uh, personally on different uh, projects and things, I, I can say it's it's a blast working with Jamak. It's 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 high empathy and high like mental throughput, but it's also like high kind of focus on what what are you actually trying to do. So, I I do recommend other folks uh, check that out as well. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This episode is part of a longer interview I conducted with Jamak Dagani, who's the founder of the Data Mesh concept and is sponsored by her, her company, her startup Next Data. The goal of these conversations is to dig deeper into specific topics rather than skimming the surface and really discuss Jamak's view of the now and the future of Data Mesh. What is possible now? What can we do to set ourselves up for success in the in the future? And what is our ideal picture in that future once we have the ways of working and the tooling more figured out? Hopefully, you get some great insights as well as seeing the other side of the funny and wonderful person behind the data mesh paradigm. Please do follow Jamak as well for more interesting insights to keep an eye out on what she is working on. I think you'll be very interested and excited. Now, up next, I'll give a bit of my summary of the episode, so you might focus on a few of the nuanced points that Jamak makes. Sometimes she says some things that are kind of like a picture, right? Worth a thousand words in and of themselves, even when she says one sentence. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and hear some fun music, and then we'll get into that summary. <laughs> Max Corner number 22, Increasing Resilience of Data Processes Through Software Best Practices. This is, again, part of a longer conversation with Jamak recorded in March of 2023. We start kind of on the fact that data product means so many things to so many people and how the definition of the term has kind of gotten away from us. How can we pull vendors, you know, kind of those tooling providers to create the tooling that we need if there isn't cohesion around kind of need based on shared meaning, not just shared language, you know, using the same words, we need to mean the same things. Won't they just try to serve us more of the same, but maybe slightly better at best? How can we work together as well on common standards if we are talking past each other? How can we really collaborate on this stuff? We moved into the data community is just starting to tackle challenges the software community has been learning to tackle over the last 10 plus years about how to create good interfaces between systems. You know, if you're breaking things down into pieces like we did in microservices, this is what we're trying to do with decentralized data. 
there has to be what Jamak said, you know, quote unquote, a contract or API or interface or language. It doesn't really matter what you call it, but the pieces need to be able to actually interface and communicate in a scalable way that isn't so much uh, hard coded on the one to one basis. In software, you know, Jamak was talking about, we started with very strict and rigid interfaces, and that just created a ton of work and fragility and just it, it didn't work as we scaled out. So she believes, you know, the strong schema-based data contracts that are kind of being recommended by a lot of folks will cause more headaches than they solve. They just will make things too tightly coupled. It's too close of an integration through the database, the database schema. We need pretty good abstractions here. She brought up uh, Postel's law, which I hadn't heard of, but it's just be conservative in what you do, be liberal in what you accept from others. So when you think about what that means in this is be liberal in what you accept from others in software, it's, you know, have it so that little things, little changes don't break everything unless it's really a um, major change on your end, right? That you can accept, okay, this thing changed and that it, I don't have to completely throw everything out and it doesn't break my system. Easier said than done and not that easily said. <laughs> so essentially at the heart, we need to be much more resilient. We need to be able to make changes to our data products and especially our operational systems without everything falling apart for the consumer. APIs can create a level of abstraction but it feels like we're overfitting them. Again, how can we apply Postel's law about being liberal in what we accept from others? We need to be what Jamak said, quote unquote, be very mindful and not naive around how we integrate into the in the data world and to not make the same mistakes we made in services a decade or so ago. We need to go and try and learn what they did so we don't have to make the same mistakes and the same learnings. Let's just go ahead and skip that. Let's skip that pain if we can. Okay, with that shortest summary of the episode done, let's go ahead and get to actually hearing from the woman herself, Shmak Degani. But right now, we're not even there. I agree with you that we're not there from a technical capabilities to share the information, even if we were on the same page and, and we're not on the same page and we're not really capable of doing that in, in an easy productized way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have created shared language, but uh, semantic diffusion of that language has led to a lot of complexity uh, or misunderstanding and confusion. There is a wonderful article, um, I think it's fairly old, for, on Martin Fowler's website around semantic diffusion that, you know, the concept getting de gets defined and the new language is <laughs> created around it. And that language through time and spreading through the population just loses its meaning over time. And I think that's already happened with data mesh. Like the, the concept of data product was introduced and 
you know, I put a lot of effort in the book to define characteristics for it and um, define an acronym around like DAV units and, and all of these things, but it's just semantically it's diffused to something unrecognizable. And because we are all saying the same thing, but meaning completely different things, it's very hard to, um, right? Very hard to make progress uh, because we're not agreeing and we don't establishing common constructs, common tools, common interfaces, common contracts, whatever we want to call them, so that the the ecosystem can evolve. We just don't have it. Like every every vendor or even like adopters, you talk about their data products, they mean something different. Yeah, I've, I've asked multiple people on this podcast to give me a definition of what data product is. And it ends up being that with that semantics, you actually do have multiple layers of definition. Because if I'm talking to a data product owner, right? If I'm talking to the line of business owner, the domain owner, they don't care about input ports and output ports. They don't care about that. That sure. you know, they care about the what am I actually responsible for? A consumer, depending on the complexity, you know, the data scientist is going to love your your definition. The data analyst is probably going to be like, okay, I get that it has these things, but like, how do I just connect it to my Tableau or connect it to my Excel or whatever? And so, yeah, it gets, it gets into this semantics, but like you kind of have to have these different layers of definitions for it. But a lot of this is just, are we on the same page? And the number of times when people break without somebody going, is this what you mean? Like, that's almost like a secret weapon that I'm finding in, in data mesh is, is this what you mean? And here is how I understand it. Is this how you understand it? And these are like those little secret weapons of making the implicit explicit. And like, I think we need to do that, like on the technology side. And, and I, as soon as I say that, then my mind just goes blank as to what that means and what, the, but like we have all these implicit assumptions within the technology and we're not, you know, kind of declaring things in very explicit ways and things like that. And this is where I think, you know, you're saying handle everything in code. You, you're not a big fan of low code, no code. And I've talked to multiple people in the last, um, month or so that are dealing with like four or five different vendors that have low code, no code stuff. And it just breaks. Like the second you start trying to scale anything, the second you try and do any change management, it just breaks. And so um, we, we don't have to go down that route. But <laughs> but I think this this does kind of what we've been talking about transitions well into the idea of, of data contracts. And I've kind of changed a little bit of my language around this. And because I was trying to say data contracts have to en- encapsulate the human to human conversation. And I'm like, no. We'll leave the data contracts to be the actual technology implementation. And then we have a data sharing agreement where you actually have the human to human around it, where you actually have to exchange context and you can have that explicit thing be the contract. But like, this has been such a challenging conversation to have. Like, where, where do you think we need to go with data contracts? You know, is it that we need to have global universal definitions around quality and around, you know, the 27 different 
things of quality, right? There's like all those different metrics and, you know, timeliness and uh, accuracy and you know, everything like that. Do we need to have that within the organization or as global definitions? We need like standards as, as a data community or like, how can we actually move forward with this? Because everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I would like some assurances and everybody wants to feel more safe and like that things are trustworthy. But so I'd, I'd love to hear just kind of where you think we can go with that. And then we can walk into how that also ties into APIs and things like that as well. Hmm. My thoughts are going to be a little bit scattered and just reflective, like ref- more reflections than pointed opinions. Uh, in general, I think data community is really catching up with things that software people had to solve, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, more, longer. So we're going to make a whole bunch of, we're going to go through the same kind of evolutionary thinking um, in the data space that we've already figured this out a really long time ago. When I, th- when I saw the origin of data contracts, uh, I always love to go when these terms get um, you know, coined to go back to the origin of it. Uh, and I think I was just trying to actually f- remember the name. I think this person, uh, gentleman called, if I remember correctly, Andrew Johnson, I might be completely butchering. You're, you're thinking of Andrew Jones, but like the, where, it really, where it really comes from is Gwen Shapira with schema contracts. And then right. it just was applied to data. And so she was using the term somewhat like two years before, but yes. Yeah. So in the data space, um, let's go through a little bit of like historically what has happened and why we're having so much like confusion or conversation around this. Software people figured this out. Really, the moment we started breaking things apart into independent services, really, really long time ago, we figured out that there has to be a contract or API or interface or language, whatever word you use, so that these two different pieces can speak the same language and communicate. And we went from very strict definition of these languages, like with Cobra, I (laughs) had the fortune or misfortune of actually coding in it. You define this interface definition language IDLs, and then you generate code from them, and then these two parties can talk. And that was not a very good idea. This kind of strict contracts just create the system absolutely fragile because you don't have one piece that falls apart. Now you have 100 pieces that fall apart. The other thing we learned, so we're going to do the similar, we're going to go through the similar mistakes. So this strong schema-based contracts are going to cause a whole bunch of headaches for us because yeah, on the surface, they sound like a rational and nice idea, but they're, they're going to make the system so tightly coupled around this contract that make it really hard. Extremely brittle. It's extremely brittle. And if the whole thing that we're trying to do with data is be agile, nimble to change. So yeah. Exactly. And then what happened was the other lessons we learned as software developers when we had to integrate systems, we learned that integration through databases and through database schemas was a terrible idea. (laughs) Database schema as an interface breaks all of the good software engineering practices, abstractions, a level of indirection, 
So when you see in the data world, data contracts applied to data, it was applied because we were doing CDC out of databases, right? Out of transactional databases and exposing these updates and deletes and so on as this poor man's domain definition, domain events. And we're creating this pathologically like coupled consumer provider through this database. App dev guy can't move because the moment they change the app, you know, the database for the application, all these CDC jobs break and so on. So there was another insertion point for the conversation around data, the data contracts. So then again, fast forward in the services world, we had to learn, like actually this is before services world, but this is when TCP IP came to exist. We had Postal's law, right? Be very conservative with what you do and be um forgiving, be very forgiving in what you receive. So that while there is a contract, these are very loose contracts, as in the provider has the right of changing that contract without the consumer falling apart. So this is strict schema-based um, code generations from the schemas, very, very brittle. Again, you can't really apply the postals well. So I think um, and even having a schema for contracts or not, like it was a point of conversation in, in many conversations that, and they're both sides, they're pros and cons to each of those. Where we landed was these sort of APIs that create one level of interaction from the actual structure of the data. Their APIs were forgiving, their um, not strict schemas in, in, in some cases. Uh, you can accommodate versioning and changing them. And then in some, in, in some extreme cases, even these kind of the data itself being immutable, so you don't have updates anymore. So your surface area for change reduces. So you just serve immutable data. So again, I don't have very coherent, I guess, I opinion about this that I'm just seeing history repeating itself and we are starting from a more primitive place or a mature place because we use data and data structures as a big component of that contract and the moment we create this you know very strict structures not loose structures we're creating a very brittle. So they are necessary, the data APIs on one level of indirection. Fantastic idea. We need to have them. But we need to be very mindful and not naive around how effective they can actually be. So the modeling language of those APIs, how they can evolve and applying postals, like all those good practices that we learned in the services world need to kind of come and be applied in this more data heavy world, I, I suppose. So thanks again to Jamak. As a reminder, please check out her startup, Next Data. There's more information about it in the show notes. They're doing some pretty amazing things. She's hiring lots of folks, looking to partner with others and just kind of check it out. As for me, please do follow up with me as well. I'm pretty easy to find. I'd love to chat Data Mesh or anything kind of in the data realm. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information, some useful resources and things as well. 
And Jamak and I both wish you an excellent rest of your day. Now with that, let's cue that inspiring outro music.